Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to Dak Talk, where um, I, your host, Dactyl, talk to really interesting people, do really interesting things. And today, one of those interesting people that I have with me is uh, Mr. Ryan Gutowski. Uh, Ryan, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, man. I am uh, the creator of One Board Family. Uh, my wife, Erin, and I and our kids, and uh, along with two writers who joined us in this journey, we write about board games and write about them from a family perspective and also uh, kind of talk about the industry. Um, and we have a couple podcasts that we really enjoy doing. And yeah, so that's about it. Lots of nice, nerdy stuff. And um, so... As long as I've known you, uh, you you've always been like a like a, a board game fanatic. Um, uh, that like what what kind of led you to that to being so interested in, in board games? So yeah, so board games. When I was younger, um, there were a couple moments that I remember so vividly. Uh, my dad coming home with um, a game called Kerplunk. Uh, from a business trip, he brought Kerplunk home, and it was just this, uh, you pull the sticks out of the thing and take turns pulling sticks, and then the marbles eventually fall, and um, I remember playing Jenga in middle school and stuff like that. I remember uh, learning this game called Stop Thief that had this, uh, it was from 79, 1979, before I was born, and it had this really cool electronic device that you punched in the code, and you were trying to track down this criminal on this board, and it was this hidden movement game where the computer was telling you, uh, was keeping track of where the criminal was, uh, and you were trying to track him down. All these things kind of led me to enjoying board games and kind of enjoying the analog version of everything Um a lot as a kid fireball island and all this stuff that is is having a resurgence um and then in high school i played a ton of magic the gathering that was really big <laughs> for me really monumental uh, my first uh, ccg um and from then on went on to play star wars and a bunch of rpgs and all that great stuff i can't tell you how much money i spent on magic the gathering <laughs> oh man so much money uh, man, it, it's funny. Like you, you said, stop thief. And uh, I was listening to the episode you you guys had on um, like technology and in tabletop games. Yeah, you, you probably said stop thief like a hundred times during that episode. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it was such a change. I wrote a piece um, when we very when we first started One Board Family and uh, uh, the website. Uh, it's been almost three years. We're coming up on the three-year anniversary of starting this website. And one of the first pieces that I was passionately about, passionate about writing about was my love for Stop Thief, this little board game from 79 that my parents got when they first got married, and they taught me how to play when I was young. And the technology that was so far ahead of its time um, for the industry that it was just, it was this centerpiece for technology and gaming and it merged it so flawlessly. And so it's interesting to see there's a game called Chronicles of Crime that came out in 2018. Um, that is just a beautiful merging of digital and analog. And it's really cool to see that. It's cool to, cool to see how far it's come, you know, uh, but I'm passionate about Stop Thief, man. Yeah. I, um, I can actually share the the sentiment of being really interested in board games. Uh, unfortunately, I've I've never had like a like a good group of friends to to get together and play stuff. If you come to my house, you'll see a nice little uh, shelf of, of sorts <laughs> that just has like a good handful of games that I'll probably never get to play. <laughs> uh, yeah. That I bought in, in hopes that maybe I could get some some friends together, and you know maybe one day. Um, Boss Monster is the thing that we've played, and, and you introduced me to that. Um, that's probably yeah, the, the one that gets played. Great. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. I, I really like that one. So, along with with One Board Family, which you said you've you've been doing for about three years now, or is that just the website? Yep. Yeah. So three years ago, uh, it basically I was writing reviews on Instagram. How it came about was I was writing board game reviews on Instagram, and people were reading them and saying, "This is really good. I want to see more of this." And I was like, "Really." So these board game, these mini reviews, I call them mini reviews on Instagram. Uh, it was basically a picture of the board game and it was just a super long description des uh, describing what I thought about the game and then coming to a conclusion. And 
people wanted more of that. And I remember sitting down at dinner one night, Aaron and I were sitting with some friends. We were eating dinner at our house and they said, you know, those Instagram board game reviews, I really wish you guys would just start a website. And so that night, Aaron and I sat there in bed 10 o'clock at night. We were like, let's just do this. Let's, uh, I was up till two in the morning, uh, coding a simple WordPress site and getting it up so that we had some kind of presence online wrote first first three or four reviews along with a piece about uh gaming technology um and that was it and uh that's how you get started folks you just start <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's no lie that's literally what what i'm doing right now <laughs> when you're passionate about something man it doesn't matter how big your audience is or or how much money it makes you or whatever when you're passionate about it like that's very fulfilling you know oh yeah absolutely this is this is probably one of the best feelings that i've ever had doing any kind of work this is what i i'm kind of coining like growth work because it's yeah. something that i'm interested in that i'm actually doing but enough about me more about you uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so one more family, uh, along with that podcast, um, which I, I did listen to two or three episodes today of, along with the ones that you sent me, you have another show. Um, you want to talk about that one a little bit? Yeah. So we, uh, what was it? It's been almost, it's been a little over a year, I think. Um, we, no, it hasn't been a year yet. Uh, I'm sorry. It was last fall. Uh, no, it's almost a year. Yeah. Anyway, it's been, it's been a little while. Uh, it's this show called Will It Game. And the concept is that my partner in crime, uh, writing about board games, Rick White, and myself, we, we're always on the phone with each other, driving home from work, and pitching these really crazy outlandish board games to each other. Oh, that's what I And I told Rick, I said, what if we just turn this into a podcast? Like, we're talking about this stuff anyway. Why don't we just turn it into a show? So we did a, 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 a kind of like a, an episode, a pilot episode of it. And it was one of those things where it was fine, but it wasn't complete. So what we did was we started inviting guest judges on the show before we actually, before we started this, we lined up a couple guest judges. We had other podcasters in the board game industry come on. And then we've gotten to the point where just, just today we released an episode with Steve Jackson of Steve Jackson games. I mean, this guy created Munchkin and GURPS and, um, uh, and role-playing systems from the seventies. And like, he is just an incredible designer and just a legend of the industry, um, dating back to the mid seventies. So having him on the show and then spouting out stupid board game ideas is incredibly embarrassing, but fun at the same time. And that's what we do. We pitch these board games that should never be board games to actual professionals. And then they judge and critique them. And it's fun. It's a, it, it's, you know, partial comedy, I guess. I think, uh, cause I actually listened to the, uh, the Steve Jackson one. Yeah. Um, it, that was actually really good. Um, I don't know about Rick's game, but, <laughs> um, Rick's it, game was ridiculous. <laughs> so, uh, I actually really like Rick. Um, he 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 brings a lot of enthusiasm. Not that you don't. It's just he he's he's like overflowing with it. <laughs> yeah. And Rick is. Yeah. If you ever look at uh, our website, you can uh, look on our YouTube channel. Rick makes makes some funny funny videos. Rick has just enough energy to just go for 24 hours straight, no rest. He's a school teacher, so he has a lot of enthusiasm. Um, Rick is just an awesome dude. I've known him for so many years. We used to do ministry together uh, in the state of Georgia, and we met through that means. And then when we started One Board Family, about three months in, he contacted us and said, hey, I've always wanted to dip my toe into this. If you ever need a somebody to write a piece or an article or a review review keep me in mind and so i said why don't you write a review now and sure enough he jumped in and he's been helping us run the site for almost the entirety of of its life you know yeah that's that's another thing that uh, i think a lot of people might not understand about just doing stuff like like what what me and you are, are doing is there are people especially now all over the place who want to do something like this. They just don't know how. And so if yeah. you have an idea of what you want to do, um, and again, I'm 
you know, I'm Mr. Nobody who doesn't know how to use computers good. Uh, so yeah. if I can do it with the little bit of help that I've got, anyone can really do it. And as far as, you know, equipment and stuff goes, I'm not going to say it's cheap, you know, because you need a computer and stuff, but you're probably looking at less than a thousand. And as, yeah. as long as, you know, you have some kind of a job, it, you can save up for that. That's a thing that, that well, is the, foreseeable. The technology's gotten so good now. Um, I mean, a lot of the podcasting that we've done over the years has been using Yeti mics from Blue. Um, Yeti mics are under $100. Uh, I found the two that we use, uh, I found them on sale for about 75 years and years ago. And so I picked those up um, using Audacity, using some of the free software out there. Um, there's a lot of tools at your disposal that are absolutely free. You know, tracking analytics using uh, Blueberry, um, and Blueberry has a WordPress plugin. And so there's a lot of, the way that I got into podcasting, I mean, I've been podcasting for almost 11 years now, uh, which sounds crazy because there are some crazy. shows, um, <laughs> uh, some of the shows that I listen to, they're celebrating 10-year anniversaries this year. And I've been, I've been podcasting for that period, amount of time. We started a thing called the Collision Podcast, which was a culture and uh, faith podcast uh, 11 years ago. And the reason was because I wanted something entertaining for people of faith. And so I asked two friends of mine, and we gathered in a room and we put one microphone in the middle of the table and we talked into the microphone for an hour. And it was so dumb and it was so bad, but we kept doing it. We did it for four and a half years. And I, there were so many times when I wanted to shut that podcast down because I just didn't know if the hours I put into editing it made any difference. And then I get a, I get a, an email come in from somebody who lives in another nation. And they're like, hey, just want to tell you that so-and-so interview that you ran two weeks ago was really inspiring and it helped me a lot. And I'm like, what? You're you're e emailing me from, from Central Asia? What are you talking about? This doesn't even make sense to me. You know, I'm sitting there for three hours editing the show and I'm burned out. But then it was making a difference to somebody else. That's nuts. Um, yeah, it's crazy. And that and that's uh, I'm assuming that's this before the the big social media boom and all that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, eleven years ago, I mean, it had the Collision Podcast had its own Facebook page and stuff like that, but it wasn't like it is now. I mean, we didn't have a Twitter presence or uh, Instagram or any of that stuff. Yeah, and everybody's on Twitter now. Like, yeah, I think Facebook dropped a little bit, but <laughs> you know, most it, definitely everyone's got a social media presence so it's easier now more than ever to at least be connected at least in that way so one of the things that i was i was actually pretty interested in talking about was in the technology episode one of the things that was brought up was uh there was let's see there was a game called uh balance beast or beast of balance yeah yeah and um one of the big things that that you and rick kind of brought up was is this game always going to be able to be supported? And that's actually a pretty big fear, um, not only there, but also sort of like, I, I, I say my realm, but it's really just because I, I play more video games and I'm, I'm able to board games. Like, I play D&D. &D. That's, that's what I got. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what my friends are interested in. But that's that's a pretty a pretty solid fear all around, like as... as I don't want to sound like, like conspiracy theorist or anything, but as companies sort of find different ways to market and different ways yeah. to sell things to people. Um, especially like digital video games. This is something yeah. that I've, I've kind of always sort of been a little afraid of, of like, okay, so who says that one day it's not all digital. And, and I know obviously board games can't like, well, that's not actually true. <laughs> yeah. But I think could your happen. fear, <laughs> that's a super rational fear because, um, you look at, uh, so our, for our family, last weekend, we purchased a Switch. This is my first Nintendo console since my original Nintendo NES system, core NES system that I purchased when I got it as a Christmas gift when I was six years old as a kid. Oh so this is my first Nintendo system since six years old. Um, I was a Genesis kid, moved on to PlayStation, and I've been PlayStation ever since. 
But I mean, you look at the landscape of how, you know, they resell Super Mario Brothers over and over and over on every platform. You know, they take down the they take down the store for the Wii. They take down the store for the Wii U. You know, this stuff is going to constantly happen. And it's very frustrating at times because when you purchase something, you think, okay, my $20, $30, $40, whatever, well, I'll be able to use that. I should be able to use that forever. But the way that the landscape of, of gaming in general has changed drastically, servers and server maintenance and, you know, online video games, you know, I played Destiny for a while. I wasn't a huge fan of Destiny, but I played it. Those servers are going to go offline one day. Yeah, and then and your, the your character's hundreds, gone. What now? And then your character's gone, and then, yeah. Yeah. The hundreds of hours that you put into that game. I mean, I'm thankful that I have stuff like the Genesis Collection on DVD. Uh, I mean, on on you know, PlayStation so that I can be like, Hey kids, this is Sonic spinball, you know, and stuff like that. So I can show them these things, but there's a lot of other stuff. I, I purchased crazy taxi, um, digitally a couple years ago. And I was telling the kids about how good crazy taxi was when I was, when I was in high school and college. Um, and I was trying to explain it to the kids. So I just downloaded it and all the music stripped out. Oh, you know, what? it's, it's got filler, this crap filler music. No outcast. But all the, all the original, great crazy taxi music, is stripped out because those licensing deals went up. That was it. And so you think about that. That affects games. That affects your nostalgia for games. You know. Yeah, and then um, a second ago, I was I was kind of pointing at how it is possible that one day, you know potentially even even the tabletop scene can get affected because like uh even right now um magic online is finally a thing like they finally broke down and made that where it's like a a, a more modern digital tcg client like you're used to from gwent or uh hearthstone you know those kind of games yeah um, yeah and i from what i understand they're they're running it the same way that they would run the actual tabletop game uh which it's something I've always wanted personally. I guess like my main concern when it comes to stuff like this is what's to stop companies uh, who control these IPs, whether it be uh, magic or <laughs> beast of balance um, from finding a way to basically just price gouge people and then give them basically worthless crap. You, can, you see yeah. what I'm saying? Like who's to say that, you know, my copy of my digital copy of resident evil two you know, once everything is finally digitalized, uh, it doesn't come with a license or something that I got to pay yearly, yeah. you know, like that, that sounds crazy, but I could see that kind of thing happening, especially with like, uh, microtransactions and, you know, day yeah. one DLC and all this stuff. Well, I mean, that's also, you know, we traveled this weekend and, uh, so when we traveled this weekend, um, to go on a family vacation, we, hooked up Zelda breath of the wild. Um, I had a, had a friend at work, uh, allow me to borrow it for the week so that while we're on vacation, we could play something different. And so while we're traveling, we didn't have Wi-Fi, and we didn't have internet access, so we couldn't update breath of the wild. So, you know, my son was asking me, well, why is it, why is it asking to, you know, get, get this update? And I'm like, well, here's the thing. There's probably some broken crap in there. You know, there's probably some stuff in there that's busted or stuff that didn't work because they had to patch it pretty early on when it was released. So I don't know what, other than looking at patch notes, you know, I don't know what the experience is going to be. And I feel bad for people who have no internet access. Or if you think about the middle of our country where, you know, slow internet and no internet is a real thing. Like, these PlayStation fours that people are buying can't be patched. You know, um, they have to get access to and, and online gaming for some people is not a reality. You know, where I live, we have great bandwidth. We have affordable internet, but that's not true of everybody in our country. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's uh it's, it's something else. Well, onto a little more, more lighter hearted stuff. <laughs> 
Yeah, we're talking about the downfall yeah, of all digital games. <laughs> it was it like um, it was just something that really really intrigued me because this is the kind of stuff I like to think about. You know, like where yeah. where <laughs> does the market go, and how do the consumers sort of um, I don't want to say fight back, but how do they um, work around it? You know, because the obvious answer is don't buy microtransactions. If you don't yeah, buy it, yeah. they won't sell it. If you don't buy the you know the card packs or whatever. They'll either get cheaper or, you know, I think we can see that in certain, you know, with different online card games coming out at a pretty quick, quick pace. I think we're seeing a rejection of some of those now, you know, I mean, some of them are being stood up, getting decent reviews, and then within weeks getting slammed for their microtransactions or things that are found in the code. And then at the end of the day, they fold really fast. You know, and so I think that the consumers are already speaking and saying, hey, this is not okay." And I I think companies need to listen to that, you know, in in, for the board game industry, there there's a adamant population of people who love board gaming and they hate digital implementations of anything. I've got a couple friends that have told me they said if it has a digital uh, app or something to add on to it, I will not buy that board game because I just want the analog experience. There's entire forums of people like that. And uh, I think you have to vote with your wallet. You have to tell tell companies like, I don't want this if you're passionate about it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that don't that don't necessarily realize uh, that you vote with your wallet because um, there, there, there's a lot of like disparaging and stuff online. But uh, Little again, a little more lighthearted. <laughs> so, I'm sure you you've run into tons of different board games. I mean, just just seeing you at like family get-togethers. By the way, I'm related yeah, to this yeah. guy. <laughs> um, well, kind of related. Anyway, um, yeah, you've brought related up, by marriage. Yeah, um, you've brought up so many different cards. Like I, I've played a good number of stuff just that you've introduced me to that I wish I could play more of. Um, yeah be honest uh and most of those have been pretty pretty good game design uh so what what's a a couple of good examples of like like good tabletop design and bad like i can speak about tcgs but that's like that's the only wheelhouse i got everything else yeah yeah. (laughs) i think um so a good example is um a popular game for the past year has been dinosaur island it's uh kind of like jurassic park uh the board game and uh, I love the artwork. It's very, it's very uh, crazy pink and neon colors and stuff like that. Quan Chi Morio, who is one of my favorite board game artists, uh, did the artwork for that one. Um, but when I sat down with Dinosaur Island, I wasn't a huge fan of it, which was which was sad because I grew up watching jurassic park my kids have grown up watching jurassic park i love jurassic park i love this idea of building this amusement amusement park out of dinosaurs and so the experience wasn't exactly what i wanted because it was too fiddly in my opinion um but we picked up dinosaur uh dulasaur island which is a new property same design team same artist things like that but it's built for two players dulasaur island is about building your dinosaur theme park and competing head-to-head with another person who's building the exact same park and so it's all about management of resources and and getting the right number of visitors and making sure that you have enough security to take care of the threat risk with your dinosaurs that you add to the park it was so clean and so well done for a two-player game, and it was very competitive. So Aaron and I played that this morning for the first time, and I love the design choices that they made to make Dulasaur Island a two-play, a really good two-player experience. Because I think there's a lot of games out there that I would not play two players because they just suck. You know, there's not enough competition. There's usually an aspect of the game that's missing. Um, but this one was built for two players, and it shows that they took time to develop something just with a head-to-head uh, mentality. And I love that. I love it when designers do something really, really well and say, this is what it is, take it or leave it. You know, And so I would say that's a, that's a good example of, of really good design with, uh, with two players in mind. You know, 
And I say that because I just played it this morning and I, I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually something I can't say I've run into uh, either. It's like a like a straight up just two player board game of, of some kind. Uh, There's I, not a lot of great ones, yeah, which I, is which is the hard part. I can't say I've seen really any of them. Um, one thing that you kind of brought up was um, the art of, of the game, and that kind of reminded me of something was when you guys were talking about Kickstarter. And one of the one of the big things I kind of got from that episode was if you're gonna make a product of any kind, and I I, I can I can now sort of attribute to this, make the first impression worthwhile and good um yeah. i remember yeah. there was some game like habitats or something that was one that was really getting ripped on yeah um, rick rick sat down and played habitats and he was not having it <laughs> like the the artwork work was really terrible some of the rules didn't work like they were supposed to um something about glass figurines i don't know if that was a good or a bad thing that was just weird yeah <laughs> that i can't say i, I know many uh games that have glass figurines uh i know quartz um <laughs> yeah yeah but um so that's 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 kind of a uh, an interesting thing is just how on kickstarter you can find so many weird projects whether they be you know board games or, or whatever yeah i think the thing that draws me into a project the most uh i basically kickstarter for me um I like to support companies that are doing something different or I can depend on that company uh, for the games that they put out. I know they're going to be quality. I know they put their time in. Um, But one of the biggest things is when I go into looking at a Kickstarter, I look at the artwork. That's the first thing. Like you can tell me about your gameplay all day long, but if I don't end up sitting there playing it, it's still suspect. You know, Um, I look at the artwork to say, did you do your homework in in what you're trying to portray and did you spend money in this area um because i i think one of the worst things to do is sit down with a person and say okay here's the thing i'm going to explain this game and then for the next 45 minutes i'm going to apologize for all the artwork and how (laughs) ugly it is and the fact that colorblind people can't deal with it because they can't see certain things and the iconography has to come with a glossary in the back of the manual like i hate that i i hate doing that and so those games that i have to apologize for all those areas of the artwork those games don't sit on my shelf very long you know so when i look at uh, a kickstarter project i look at it and say am i going to have to apologize for this artwork even if the game's good because i'm probably not going to buy it yeah, I can't say I've run into too many of those that you've you've introduced me to. I think the most like because I get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was one that you, that you uh, you showed me and me and my wife. Um, it was like a like a domino castle building sort of thing or um, territory yeah, King game. Domino. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, but that was probably yeah. about as as I don't know if juvenile is the right word, but like um, simple. That it is, yeah. As far as artwork goes, that that you've shown me, I think one of the cooler ones was um, Forbidden Isle. Is that right? Forbidden Island. Yep. Forbidden yeah. Island's fun. It's it's a cooperative game. Um, it, it's it's one of those co-ops that for anybody who's who's not sure if they like cooperative games, a lot of people enjoy Forbidden Island. There's a tension there where the island is sinking, and you have to work together to get these artifacts off the island. It's uh, it it it's really good. And then they've got the follow-up of forbidden desert and now forbidden sky, which is the one that got released last year, uh, which forbidden sky has a whole nother thing going for it. You're actually working to build this network of circuits to actually launch a little, uh, you've got a little rocket that when you put it on the stand and you've got this grid of circuits worked out, it actually makes lights and sounds, which is crazy. Like, it's a really cool technology. Oh, there's more technology in your board games. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> the purists aren't going to like that. <laughs> They're going to hate it. Uh, no, that's actually really cool. Um, didn't, didn't you say you played Volcano Island recently? <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. So, that Fireball Island. Fireball, so, gosh fire, dang it. <laughs> yeah. do, you rem- do you remember that at all? Yeah, Did no, I, I do. Uh, like, I didn't grow up with it, but... Um, uh, when when I was uh, when Stairway Toys was was open in uh, Macon, they had, I remember they had one on display 
for a little while and I was just like, I want to play that game, whatever that is. Yeah. Because it's so ridiculous. Look, it's a it's basically just like a giant set piece with a, a big like boss monster mountain in the middle of it. And yeah, and then you would knock them off. So there's a point in time where you knock the marble off the top of the top of the thing and it would roll down one of the channels and it would knock people off of bridges and knock people out. And uh, so what happened was Fireball Island was I think it was put out in the mid 80s, maybe 87, somewhere around there. A neighbor of mine had it. So I played Father Fireball Island, even though I we didn't have it. I couldn't afford it as a kid. So I played it at the neighbor's house all the time. Well, that's pretty well pricey, right? a, f- a friend of mine uh, found it, found a copy of Fireball Island at a thrift store, was super excited about it, sold it online for like 180 bucks. And the very next week, Restoration Games, which is an, a phenomenal company, they're actually Restoration Games is bringing all these classic games back with modern mechanics. They are doing a fantastic job. Fire, they re-released Fireball Island. They built it from the ground up. New mechanics, brand new, like just the latest technology for their vacuum form uh, pieces. Uh, it's beautiful. It's a really cool piece. So Fireball Island, it's it's nice. Are they the same ones uh, who did the re-release of Betrayal of House on the Hill? So, no. they uh, Betrayal actually got a legacy version. Betrayal at the House uh, on the Hill legacy. Um, Betrayal Legacy, which is fantastic from what I hear. We haven't gotten a copy of it yet. Um, but that was, uh, that was redeveloped and rebuilt from the ground up and done really well. Actually, Rob Davio is the designer and worked on the second edition of it also. Um, I think, yeah. And so he's actually on the podcast next week. Really? On, uh, yeah. Will it game? He comes on the podcast. It is look up. Will it game episode 24 coming out April 1st. And uh, it is a very, very interesting episode. So, so I'm, I'm guessing a lot of these are probably pre pre-recorded. Yeah. So we record will it game because of how many guests we've had on the show, we've been recording two to three weeks ahead of time uh, for Will It Game, which has worked out really well. It's helped us with editing time. And Will It Game is a 15 to 20 minute show. So it's a bite-sized podcast and it's not something that's going to overstay its welcome. It's just a quick hit podcast. So you can listen back to back or just catch up whenever you want. So yeah, so we it's, it's something that, we know that people listen to podcasts in different ways, and we want to give something to the person who only has a couple minutes. Uh, there was, um, I, I don't remember who the guest was because I, I don't know any of these names. I know Steve Jackson, but <laughs> um, <laughs> there was one you guys are doing, and the theme was okay. So, like, I think you already explained, but like every episode has a theme, and one of the themes was robots in places where they absolutely don't belong. <laughs> Yes. So that was Jamie Stegmeyer. Um, if you are a board game lover, uh, Jamie Stegmeyer runs Stonemeyer games. He is phenomenal. He is a, uh, he's an incredible designer, an incredible publisher. This man, um, made a big impact on board gaming, how board games are presented on, on, on Kickstarter. And he has produced such games as Viticulture, which is one of my favorites for me and my wife to play. We love, it's about making wine and you're running a vineyard. It's such a cool game, worker placement game. Um, and so he's, he's published so many, his, the latest one that his company's published is wingspan. That's gotten a ton of press lately, but, um, Jamie Stegmeyer, uh, created a game called scythe, which a lot of people know about because the artwork's so crazy. It looks like in 1920s, 1930s, people working out in the field and like Mother Russia. And then in the background, you see these giant mechs kind of roaming the fields. And it's so beautiful and also so apocalyptic, you know? Um, and so we wanted to follow that theme of, you know, settings where robots don't belong. Because it's it's such a beautiful picture, and then you're like, are those giant mechs in the background? Holy crap! Um, and that's one of Jamie Stegmeyer's games. I'm actually looking at the picture right now because I didn't take. It's the time. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually really cool. Um, that's that's a very like uh, like I don't want to say, not not armored core, but there was uh, mech warrior. I think <laughs> like it's, it's yeah, very it's, reminiscent it's of those, that. Yeah, 
It really is. That's really cool. Um, there's actually a, a couple of games that, that you uh, more or less designed in those episodes that yeah. could probably pass as like something that you'd buy. Like I, I, um, I really thought Infestation was really interesting, which I'll let you explain that if you want to. <laughs> yeah, so Infestation, we the theme that Steve Jackson picked, he wanted to have us design games with gratuitous number of meeples. So I created a game that was basically you are are trying to collect sets of bugs. And then when you collect certain sets of bugs, you actually take those bugs out of the middle of the pile of meeples. You take those bug meeples and you toss them into somebody else's uh, house. And so the houses are just boxes that are nested together. And so um, you're trying to fill their house with bugs, but you can stop people by by showing them a hand of uh, exterminator cards that they may not know that you have drafted. So these exterminator cards basically like ward off the bugs and put them back in the other player's house. Um, I think one of, uh, there have been a couple really funny things. Uh, very early on when we started doing Willet Game, I created a uh, Paperboy card game. Do you remember Paperboy on the NES? Yeah, I didn't play much of it because it was, you know, Paperboy. It's pretty boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I created a Paperboy uh, NES card game, um, and I thought it was hilarious, and I was like, ah, this is pretty cool. So apparently uh, somebody uh, wrote me on Twitter and was like, hey, this actually exists, and this person created it. Here's a link to it. And so this designer that I'd never heard of actually created a Paperboy board game, uh, a card game that was not called Paperboy. It was called something so that he didn't get sued. But it actually was what I was talking about. I was like, oh, man, that actually that actually works. That's pretty cool that I had a similar idea as an actual designer, game designer. Um, and then the other one was Rick... I think his first or second pitch on that show was about, about a pimple popping game where you had to pop the pimples on this weird face. Um, and it was a kind of a gross out game. And uh, sure enough, this past summer uh, or this past fall, uh, Pimple Poppin' Larry or whatever <laughs> was actually a game that was marketed toward kids in Target and Walmart and everything else down the toy aisles. So if you go to one of those stores, you'll see a pimple popping game, which is super gross, but it actually exists. So we were on to something. It sounds. Uh, it sounds like there's some uh, some people listening to to your shows and. Uh... <laughs> this Joker was probably in development two years ago, and the fact that somebody would, the fact that somebody wants a pimple popping game. That's disgusting. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> Super gross, man. It kind of reminds me of whatever that, uh, there's some other kids thing when I was a kid. Um, I don't know what it was called, but there's like this head and it looked like something off of Nickelodeon and he had like boogers and stuff. I don't remember what that was, but <laughs> that's kind of what that, Nick- what that brings me back to. Was it Nickelodeon? No, I, it, I remember, it wasn't. I remember there was a game called Eat It Ralph's or something like that. And you actually were feeding uh, cardboard pieces to this sign and it would eventually throw up all the cardboard pieces i remember that that's that, that was in, from my childhood that's 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 great there's there's so many yeah. crazy ideas like that's that's one of the things that i love about uh tabletop design is yeah, yeah you know video games you can do some pretty cool stuff in video games heck i just jumped into vr uh last month and i nice. like that's been an experience but it's so impressive anytime you play a um, a really well designed uh, board game, because yeah. you know kind of half half the fun of, of board games is just conveying an idea to the players, and the players kind of having to use a little bit of their imagination and kind of kind of taking that idea in, and I'm yeah. sure it's not that hard to do with the pimple popping game. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think the I think that bo- when board games can create a setting for you, um, it, while this is not a fantastic board game setting, there's a game called Last Friday, which puts uh, a group of people into the role of um, campers, and then one person is called the maniac, which Jason Voorhees, but they can't say Jason Voorhees, and the <laughs> maniac is going around trying to kill the other campers. But it's a hidden movement game, so the Jason character 
uh, this this machete building guy is moving around the board, but you can't tell where he is. He has a, a finite start, set of starting points he can start at, and all the campers start at certain points. But he, the person who's controlling this Jason character, writes down their movements according to number behind a screen. And I think the theme does such a good job of setting you in that that role of where is he? Uh, you know, we even, the, I think the last time we played, we actually put some scary music on in the background. And it really sets this setting so well and that people with any type of any imagination can just sit there and be like, I'm in this setting. I'm running for my life, you know, and board games do a great job of that without having to surround yourself with imagery and things like that. Just looking at the board and thinking through your movements and thinking through what's it going to take to either take this person out or get away myself. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great game for setting theme. I actually would love to play that. It sounds kind of like a machete battleship. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that one. Well, no, no, like that's, that's oh yeah, the, yeah, this genre <laughs> machete machete battleship. I might pitch that on Will a game. Uh, actually, before we do sign off, I actually do have a theme for one of your episodes. If you if you want to, okay. you don't have to do it. Yeah, but um, do you have any any uh, any plans for the future of the podcast or or any anything else? Like, do you have any any games yeah. you're thinking about making or? So we do the podcast in seasons. Uh, our primary podcast is called the One Board Podcast. We do that one in seasons because we've realized uh, I had a really hard time when I was running the Collision Podcast of getting overwhelmed because I was on the schedule. Um, and with the with the One Board Podcast, what we did was we broke it down into fifteen episode seasons. So at the end of fifteen episodes, we reserve the right to stop for a month, two months, whatever we feel like. Um, and it's worked out really well. But each time we've come back, we're in our fourth season, which is essentially a year and a half worth of episodes. Um, but each season is 15 episodes. And it's cool because we've brought in different elements. In season three, I think, we brought in this thing called The Game Doctor, which uh, people can write in. They can write us at contact at oneboardfamily.com and they can ask a question of the game doctor. And so we present the question and our game doctor comes on the episode and they prescribe some games for them. Um, so that was something that came out of stopping, taking a look back and then trying to reformat the show. Um, we are in our fourth season and I don't know. I don't know what the next thing I do know. We have some video series that we want to shoot. It's just taking the time video content. So demanding and, uh, being a father of three, being a full-time web designer, uh, being a church planter, uh, and running this website all at the same time. Uh, there's not a lot of, a lot of room for video content. And so we'll see what, comes of it but we've got some cool video content hopefully in the future yeah that's actually one one big reason why i haven't really done anything uh youtube related with with this like it, it would be pretty easy i think you know to just if i'm talking to a game dev or something get the game and just record the stuff on, on you know some other time and then just mash the audio and that together but i don't have a capture card and um, yeah yeah and also, I, I just don't really feel like that's super necessary. I feel and like the video medium is yeah. very demanding also. Um, YouTube, the algorithms for YouTube, if you're not publishing on a regular, consistent basis, they're not going to put you in front of a bigger audience. And so that's that's very... It's not helpful to a person who sporadically releases videos, video content. Oh, okay. that, that's so it's, it's difficult. That's what you meant by demanding. Okay. I thought you yeah, meant something yeah. else. Um, but... I mean, I would, I would definitely say both ways. Actually, like I have yeah. no idea how to how to edit video. On that note, um, there's also if if you make a podcast, you can jump on an RSS feed and then just submit that feed to like I think I'm on four or five different uh, services yeah. right now. I'm on SoundCloud, Google, iTunes, um, Podbean, yada yada. You know, all of, Spotify. Yep. Yeah, that's five. Yep. So. And I was able to do that. So that's five different places just running your mouth that people can, can find you at. That's right. And you don't 
necessarily have to worry about like algorithms and stuff because YouTube has been going through their their problems. <laughs> They're going through a lot of growing pains right now. Yeah, for like the last three years. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's yeah. been a mess, um, and that's really unfortunate because there's a lot of folks on there who are just trying to do what they enjoy doing. Uh, yep. Hopefully for a living, you know, like I'm sure anybody would would want to do, which I know I'm trying to do. <laughs> um, yeah. So, oh, um, one last question before <laughs> yeah before I go ahead and give you the the theme, and because we are we are kind of rounding up on like 50 minutes now. Um, for someone trying to to start something like this or you know just just media related um any advice like like i I know we we said some stuff earlier but yeah that was really just me running my mouth (laughs) no i think uh i think there is some things that i've learned over the years i would say when you go if you're creating a podcast record record four or five episodes just just playing around trying things out um, listen to different podcasts. Like it's very easy to get insulated in, in your listening habits. Like I love video games. I don't play in a lot of video games cause I don't have enough time, but I listen to a lot of video game podcasts. A lot of them do the same thing. Um, I listen to a lot of board game podcasts. A lot of them do the same thing, including the one board podcast. I listen to faith podcasts. You know, they do the same thing. So when you, I listen to some comedy podcasts, a lot of them do the same thing. When you find somebody who's doing something different, you don't have to emulate it, but it almost gives you, it gives you some license to do something different. Try something that, that you haven't heard before. Um, That's why we started Will It Game. Uh, Will It Game was us playing around because we were already doing it on the phone anyway. We might as well play around, record it and invite professionals into our stupidity um but it's something different um so i would say i would say listen to a lot of different shows listen to a lot of different genres of podcasts and then find something that that will not only entertain you but you feel like people are going to find value in so um and that's true of any media you know there a lot of a lot of uh the same things show up on youtube a lot of the same video content shows up on Facebook. Do whatever you do well and uh, do something unique, you know, um, and and people will find a home on your page or on your podcast or on your video channel. And uh, I can I can definitely say that uh, as as a new content creator, um, I it, it has been a little bit of a, a struggle for me to kind of figure out how how I can make this a valuable thing to people. And at the same time, like if I did start a Patreon or something along those lines, cause I know that's, that's the big one still, um, is what, what could I necessarily do? Like, I know one of the things that, um, you and Rick said that you, you guys do is on your anniversary, you, you give away like, like a board game to yeah somebody. I, I, I didn't exactly catch it all, but yeah, that's so- a really cool thing to do for patrons. Yeah, so Patreon, um, there's a lot of different ways that you can use Patreon to really show value. One of the things that we tried doing early on, and it's worked out really well, is that on our anniversary in June every year, anybody who's sub- who is supporting us at our $5 a month level on Patreon, we ship them a game, a board game. And the board game's usually between $15 and $20. And it's something that we as... Uh, content creating unit myself and Aaron and Rick and now Bob who came on last year um, we find a game that we all enjoy something that we really liked that other people are going to find value in and we ship that game to our patrons um, so it's that's one of the ways that we and I've seen other people doing really cool stuff there's a I'm trying to remember her page but there's one who she does postcards she does amazing board game photography and her patrons at a certain dollar amount will get postcards of her photography work sent to them like a book of postcards so that they can use throughout the year I think it's incredible um, and that's just a different way of, of bringing people onto the platform and saying, Hey, I'm giving you something that is of value and, uh, I do need your dollars to continue doing what we do. Yeah. And, and I can even say that I'm actually a pretty, um, 
guilty of this as well where it's it's hard for me to just pledge to pledge money but in the back of your mind you have to know that if you want if you want to support people if you want to see them keep making stuff it is important to at least consider because yeah you know yeah. views and stuff are nice but sponsors don't always come around like i'm pretty sure you guys aren't sponsored right yeah, we don't do sponsorships. We uh, we gave away a sponsorship in season two just to test it, and I think it was good. Um, we built a relationship with this company, and we gave away the sponsorship to them for a full uh, season of the podcast, 15 episodes. And it was a good experience, and it wasn't intrusive to our audience, which was what we were testing. Um, but right now, we don't. We don't have sponsorships. We have been talking to some people, um, but we don't know what that's going to look like in the future. All right, Ryan, I don't want to take up all your time. I know you got a uh, Man, Spider-Verse been good, watch. Dude. Thank and, you. You know, I actually really enjoyed it too. Um, <laughs> before I go, yeah. um, uh, I'll go ahead and give you the theme. <laughs> yeah. And basically what i want you guys to i mean again if you want to if you don't you know whatever yeah well every once in a while we'll get somebody who says hey you pick the theme and we'll be like okay okay, so cool stuff content's content right (laughs) yeah um basically take a a jrpg of any kind it can be totally original you can make up your own story whatever uh, and just try try to adapt that into board game form okay cool i feel like that's a a pretty pretty steep challenge. <laughs> I feel like you could. I feel like you could build a legacy game out of something like Persona. Yeah, like that would be pretty incredible. Stuff like Persona would be great, and and that's another yeah. thing is like it can be any time period theme. Yeah. Uh, you know, like your Pokemon. That sounds good. Or... I'll I'll see if we have a guest coming on in the near future <laughs> that would be able to judge something like that. That might be cool. All right, I got you. Is there anything you want to plug before signing off? Yeah, just um. If, if you're into board games, uh, we call ourselves One Board Family, B-O-A-R-D, uh, One Board Family. We write about family games, but really, overall, we write about how we can build better relationships around the game table. That's the whole point of what we're doing. Uh, we write about family-friendly games. We write about adult games. We write about uh, games that two players, a couple, can play together. Rick has been fantastic about writing about two-player games specifically if you want to know more about that stuff oneboardfamily.com b-o-a-r-d family.com and you can find us on twitter instagram uh, youtube and facebook all on the same at one board family so find us interact with us we love talking about this hobby so uh, come come check us out Alrighty, well, uh, that was Mr. Ryan Gutowski of One Board Family, and um, I guess hopefully I'll be back in a week. It kind of depends on how on how my next guests are kind of lining up here. Just kind of doing it on my own time. But remember, folks, memes will destroy the world, and uh, <laughs> I will see you next time. Later, Ryan. Excellent. Thanks, man. <laughs> Bye.